Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smolders. This is The Sandman, Issue 50, Ramadan. Ah, uh, number one best-selling Sandman comic. Of Single, all time forever? Issue. Well, I don't know about forever, but certainly when The Sandman was being printed as uh, single issues, this one sold uh, 250,000 copies, which was the most of any single issue at that time. And I don't think anything's passed, surpassed it. So you could say this is the best possible Sandman. It is. And then there's no more like it's it. It's widely considered the best single issue, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You could say that maybe there was a king who had this idea and then oh, I see. he created this thing and then oh. he had to put the Sandman in a bottle. Forever. Yeah. Yes. This is the Sandman city in a bottle. Well, let's get to the cover. It's pretty. It's very pretty. It is uh, acrylic and photography. I love this hand position Dream is doing. It's definitely one I've done in photos before. <laughs> it like works super well. Yeah. Well, he's got something falling into his hands, doesn't he? Looks like letters. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Not sure what it says. Oh, I can almost read it. It's a story. <laughs> it might be, yeah. Which is kind of what this issue is about. Well, let's get to it. Let's get inside. In the name of Allah, the compassionate and all-merciful, I tell my tale, for there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Mm -hmm. This is an abridged version of the opening of the Arabian Nights, also known as the 1001 Nights. Uh, it's akin to the invocation of the muses in classical literature. It's actually called the Shahada. That's what there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. That is the profession of faith for Muslims, as-shahada, meaning the testimony. And all good Muslim books should begin this way, mm. in the name of Allah. Muhammad, circa 567 to 632, founded the religion of Islam and wrote the Quran. I want to talk about this issue and how it was made, because it was done quite differently from almost every other issue of the Sandman, and actually differently from how a lot of comics were done. Okay. So normally when Neil writes a, uh, a comic script, He's very detailed about what goes where and how things look and, you know, even the breakdowns of the page layout, like a big panel here and put it into three panels here and mm. in panel one it says this and in panel two it says that, things like that. That's typically what a writer does when they write a comic is they give you the full detail. Mm -hmm. uh, with this, Neil decided he wanted to get a real kind of 1001 Nights kind of storytelling feel to it. Okay. So he wrote the first 18 pages as just a short story. And then he called up the artist, P. Craig Russell, who's known for doing adaptations of existing stories. Uh, mm. he, he is uh, very well known for doing the Elric series of fantasy books as a series of comic books. That's where I first know him from. They're excellent, beautifully uh, drawn, really well done. And it's really him just reading the books and then turning them into comics fully. So he does the whole deal. And so Neil called him up and said, how would you like me to do this? P. Craig Russell said, well, what have you got so far? And he said, I've got this 18-page short story. And he said, great, finish it that way. I'll do everything for you. <laughs> so Neil wrote this as a short story with no direction on page layout or how things looked and just trusted this professional P. Craig Russell to do this beautiful thing. And wow. And Neil has noted he does a bunch of things in here that he would have never thought of doing. Certain really tall, thin panels, and the way that you'll see uh, lettering get used. That's P. Craig Russell was uh, mentioning to the letterer, Todd Klein, requesting, can you do it this way? 
Mm. Lots of just really, really great stuff. Yeah, like brings to mind the scene in the labyrinth where the lettering goes all over the place. That Mm -hmm. would be one of the instances where it's lettered in a way that's very unique. Yeah, and there is a lot of lettering in here. And Todd Klein really outdid himself in this issue with just this beautiful, beautiful script. I know you had a little bit of trouble reading the name of Harun al-Rashid. The H was a little odd, but... I found that once you get that, it's it's pretty easy to read. Yeah, once you figure out what the H is, the rest of it's fine. Yeah. It was mostly just that one letter. I was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I have a note that actually when the editor, Karen Berger, saw the amount of work that Todd Klein had poured into this issue, she gave him a bonus. Oh, good. Yeah, it's nice to hear that they can do that. This entire comic is inspired so completely by the 1001 Nights, also known as the 1001 Arabian Nights. That's what I was told it was called when I was growing up, I remember. It's also known as Arabian Nights. 1001 Nights is a collection of Middle Eastern and South Asian stories and folktales compiled in Arabic during the Islamic Golden Age. It's often known in English as the Arabian Nights from the first English language edition, which was in 1706, which rendered the title as the Arabian Nights Entertainment. So it was all written in Arabic. A lot of these stories predate the Arabic time when this was all put together. So these were a bunch of stories from all these different cultures that had filtered through and found their way to Arabia during their golden age, and then they started to collect them together and they built the framing story, which they set back in the time when some of those early stories were about Scheherazade telling the tale and then leaving the end off until the next night so that she wouldn't be killed by her husband who would kill every woman that he'd married because Mm. he was unhappy with them. So he he couldn't kill her because he wanted to get the end of the story. That's the Scheherazade story that is framing all of these 1001 nights. But what's interesting is a lot of the stories that she tells come from a later time than she exists in Mm. because it was all compiled together uh, during that that Arabic golden age, but they're telling these older stories and they said it older, but there are stories that didn't exist at all when she was supposed to be telling them. Hmm. I like to think that she picked them up through the shifting zones. Sure. I I think that there is a Sandman story somewhere about her as this amazing storyteller, getting her stuff from the dreaming through time. That fixes that problem for me. The work was collected over many centuries by various authors, translators, and scholars across West, Central, and South Asia and North Africa. The tales themselves trace their roots back to ancient and medieval Arabic, Persian, Mesopotamian, Indian, Jewish, and Egyptian folklore and literature. In particular, many tales were originally folk stories from the Caliphate era, while others, especially that Scheherazade frame story, are most probably drawn from the Pahlavi Persian work Hazar Afsan, which in turn relied partly on Indian elements. So you've got all these stories just crossing borders and getting slightly changed and tweaked. Some of the stories very widely associated with the knights, in particular Aladdin's Wonderful Lamp and Ali Baba and the Forty Thieves and the Seven Voyages of Sinbad the Sailor, were not part of the knights in its original Arabic version, but were added to the collection by Antoine Galland and other European translators. And there's actually a theory that they didn't exist at all before him. That he kind of created these stories out of nothing and added them as though they were part of the 1001 Arabian Nights. Oh. (laughs) So they might not even be legit. Aladdin might be a completely fake French creation. Mm. But based on these, which certainly were real. We open up looking at Baghdad, which is located on the Tigris River. It's the capital of modern Iraq. And it mentions Harun al-Rashid, king of kings, prince of the faithful. 
He lived from 763 to 809, and he ascended as the fourth caliph of Baghdad. Uh, Harun al-Rashid, in English, basically translates to Aaron the Just. Harun being an Arabic kind of Aaron, mm. or, or Aaron being an, a, an anglicized version of Harun, mm-hmm. and al-Rashid meaning the just. Mm. Harun al-Rashid was renowned as a warrior, a scholar, a poet, an able administrator, and a patron of the arts. He is a protagonist in the Arabian Nights in several of the stories and represents the ideal ruler in Arab stories. He's he, he's seen as this is what a king should be like, right? A page yeah. he's, he's kind and strong and all that stuff. He had two grand viziers. Those are his basically his uh, advisors. Mm-hmm. Yaha ben Khalid the Barmecide, and mm-hmm. he that's actually from his family name Barmecade. I think is the way it was pronounced, but because of one of the stories of Yahya ben Khalid in 1001 Nights, where he feeds a beggar a pretend feast of empty dishes. Barmecide has come to mean somebody who offers benefits that are illusory or disappointing. Mm, okay. So, uh, so this guy actually became the reason for that word meaning that. And then followed by Fadl ben Rabi. There were sages and wise men and alchemists, geographers and geomancers, mathematicians and astronomers, translators and archivists, jurists, grammarians, kadis and scribes. A kadis is a judge in Islamic countries. Mm. And a geomancer, I think we've talked about what mancy means. It means finding, it's using magic to get wisdom. So that means using magic to get wisdom from the earth, from the ground. Mm. It's kind of an earth sorcerer thing, but it basically means getting knowledge from earth. But it can also mean somebody who's very good at organizing things on the ground. So like laying things out properly is another Hmm. non-magical way that you could call it that. Yeah. Geomancer. Yes. So in his court, he's got lots of cool people as well. He's got uh, the greatest teachers of the Hebrews. Mm -hmm. Um, He's got the greatest monks of the Christians. And he totally, uh, they throw shade on Christians here, which is pretty funny to me. Uh, (laughs) Who who are unclean and would venerate the dry dung of their leader, whom they call the Pope. (laughs) Yes. That's specifically Catholics that they're really... Uh, make fun of there Mm -hmm. and he also has with him the greatest scholars of the quran the word of allah as revered to his prophet muhammad 180 years before Mm -hmm. so also uh islam is pretty uh it's pretty new at this point yeah Mm -hmm. yeah lots of things are pretty new so neil sets up Baghdad and the world of harun al-rashid here he tells you how great it is how amazing it is goes through a whole bunch of the amazing sights of it and how great his harem is. Mm-hmm. And like the cool people that live in his palace. Mm-hmm. I especially like the Mongolians with uh, long sleeves that are full of secrets. And they just show the sleeves hanging in this yes. one uh, image. <laughs> Makes me very happy. Also, there's a talking rhinoceros. Yeah. Now... We'll see a lot of, it looks kind of like Arabic script words in here, mm-hmm. but none of them are actually words. It's just kind of an artistic rendering. Yeah, because we don't want to, we can't know what the rhinoceros is saying. Right. But there's also other parts where it looks like like a human is trying to say something in Arabic. It's just a fanciful little bit of art to look like that. Mm, okay. So his palace was the palace of wisdom, and his palace was the palace of pleasure, and his palace was the palace of wonders. 
For those were the days of wonders, and Harun al-Rashid was a wise king. When he sat in judgment, even his sages were astonished at the sagacity of his verdicts. Under him the city prospered, and the whole of Arabia flowered and blossomed. But Harun al-Rashid was troubled in his soul. And we get to see that super close-up of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Just the two red dots and worry. He's very troubled. Yeah. And again, like, the art in this, it, it's a very simplistic style. It's very kind of cartoony, right? It doesn't look like he's actually using references so much when he's drawing the people, especially. But that, the emotion on Harun al-Rashid's face is subtle and perfect. Mm-hmm. I love it. So far, this feels like the most colorful as well of all the issues. Yeah, the coloring was done by Laverne Kinzierski. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It might be Kinzierski, K-I-N-D-Z-I-E-R-S-K-I. This is one of the first that I'm aware of that used computers for coloring. Mm. And yeah, the coloring, every, every single detail in this issue, I think, is perfect. Yeah, all, all the, uh, every bit of open space is like patterned and filled mm-hmm. in a way that's just like really in- visually entertaining. Like yeah. you could spend forever just looking at every panel. And based on ancient uh, Islamic art as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, P. Craig Russell did a whole bunch of research. Uh, there's a list of books that he looked through to to get the patterns and you'll see them in Harun al-Rashid's clothing, in the sidebar patterns and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, just this is a work of art, this issue. I mean, not that the others aren't, but wow. And at these times, when the darkness would descend on his brow, he would go out of a night into the city of Baghdad taking with him only his friend and vizier Jafar and Masrur, his executioner. Jafar and Masrur are both characters seen in the Arabian Nights, and in there Masrur is referred to as a eunuch. Mm. But that's not inconsistent with his role of executioner, though. So he could be both. Sure. Mm-hmm. He is Ansalid. <laughs> yes. So one of the things that they're going through... um different basically the amazing quests this party has has seen <laughs> when uh harun raises a poor beggar to cellophate for a day of dreams mm-hmm. uh, it seems like the character looks like he's very much dressed kind of like aladdin yeah it kind of reminds me of that yeah yeah the death of the hunchback and wondered at the seven strangers who admitted his murder that's a story from the 1001 nights mm-hmm. the tale of the hunchback It's interesting. The hunchback was eating with a couple and he was dared to eat an entire fish in one go and he choked on a fish bone (gasps) and fell over apparently dead. They went, oh no, what are we going to do? And they took his body and they threw it somewhere else and somebody else found it and thought that they had killed him. Oh no. Like a few times, like somebody opened their door and went, oh no, a thief and hit him with a hammer in the chest and (laughs) and he falls over. And then they went, I killed somebody. And then they get rid of his body and then somebody else finds it and they think they did it. So they hide the body. And then finally, the last person gets caught and accused of murder. And everybody else goes, no, I'm sorry. It wasn't them. It was me. It was me. And then (laughs) all seven of them going, I have to, no, I cannot let this innocent person be tried for what I did. I'm the one who killed the hunchback. I'm so sorry. And then finally, I believe a barber walks up and pulls the fish bone out of his mouth and he goes, (gasps) and he wasn't dead. He was just unconscious. Ta-da! End of the story. So that's one of the 1001 nights. That's basically what he's going through here. The winged horse made of glass, but for its eyes, which were bone. I can't find a reference to that. There was a, a mechanical flying ebony horse in the 1001 nights, though. 
Mm. Well, this is just its own fun little Pegasus dude. Yeah. Well, we've had his palace was a palace of wonders and pleasure and wisdom. It seems that Baghdad is a city of stories here. Oh, yeah. Because these are all the 1001 nights. And lots of quests mm-hmm. for your party to go on. <laughs> well, I think these these have already been done. He's walking past them. That's what I mean, is that is that these are all tales of quests that, that they went out and found over the years, whenever our king here was uh, was feeling troubled. So you're saying like role-playing game quests? Kind of, because what did he say? When he was, when, when he was, he would go out into the night in the city of Baghdad, take him mm-hmm. with him, and then it describes different things that, that they witnessed when they were out on their travels. So these are like quests they went on in the past. And like every time they go out an adventure and they'd find these different stories along the way, they experienced them instead of them being Shahrazad's tales. They oh, okay. experienced them. That's what I'm saying. Kind of, he's, they're telling all these stories through the king because he, you know, would go out at night and, discover all these things yeah okay but still the king was troubled and over the next page we get one of those tall thin shots that neil probably never would have done he says but it's beautiful it's the way to show this big chunk of text and one day allah so willed it that it came to pass that the defender of the faithful stood on a balcony high above the city at midday and it was given to him to see all the city spread out below him like a tapestry He saw carpets fluttering the skies, and the markets filled with sweetstuffs and rare spices, and cunningly crafted jeweled birds that sang more sweetly than any bird that hatched from an egg. He saw a caravan crossing the desert into his city, camels laden with silks and costly perfumes, diamonds and rubies as large as a man's fist, and coal-eyed dancing girls, their faces veiled and their feet hennaed. He saw sailboats making their way into harbor laden with grain and pomegranates, He saw the bathhouses and the tapering spires of the mosques, heard the muezzin calling the faithful to prayer. When you're a Muslim, you have to pray a certain number of times a day at the the right time, and the muezzin's job is to announce to everybody that it is that time. It's very, very important. Mm -hmm. You will notice, though, that he doesn't pray. Yeah. He's very troubled. Yeah, his defender of the faithful isn't being particularly faithful. No, it's true. He saw the craftsmen and the porters and the merchants. He saw the warriors and the city guards and the strangers from all nations who had come to Baghdad, the jewel of cities, incomparable. But he's not happy. No. And his beautiful wife comes to him and offers to treat him very nicely. But he declines. Mm -hmm. And Jafar comes to him and is like, yo, let's go out and let's have some more adventures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something's going to happen if we go out. And he's like, nope. No, thank you. Yeah. Jafar is the Yahya Ben Khalid I mentioned, the Barmicide, Barmakid we've oh. got here. They're the same. Oh. That's the same person. Could be that the salmon annotations got this wrong here because that's where I got the Yahya Ben Khalid from. Mm. Whereas I do have a Jafar Ibn. Oh, here it is. It's Jafar Ibn Yaha. So Yahya is his uh, last name or his father's name because ibn means son of mm. jafar ibn yaha barmaki he was the son of yaya it was ramadan the most holy of months for it was in ramadan that the angel gabriel first gave the word of allah the one the only god to the prophet ramadan is the ninth month of the islamic calendar and it's observed by muslims worldwide as a month of fasting to commemorate the first revelation of the quran to muhammad according to islamic belief uh, this year, in 2017, Ramadan will start on May 26th, and it ends on June 24th. 
Uh, it's a pretty interesting holiday. They do fast. You can't eat during the day. And uh, I remember last year, Snapchat had a big Ramadan celebration. So mm-hmm. you could post your little Snapchats publicly to it. And it was really cool to watch. All these young Muslims were like basically staying up and partying the night before and eating as much as they possibly could to kind of celebrate the day before Ramadan. And like, they all drink a lot of water and they get together and have a good time. It was really cool. Yeah, um, it becomes kind of a... Because like a lot of stores um, and places in like majority Muslim countries change their hours and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Like the whole city kind of changes for a month um, to make that easier to to do. And like you change your work schedule and things like that. Just the way that your daily life goes becomes a little bit different during that month. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's similar that like around December, we all kind of change here yeah. in a in a kind of Christian majority country. Right. Um, that happens too to kind of work around Christmas type dealings and whatnot. Yeah. Not everyone has to fast during Ramadan. It's not a it's not a hard rule if you're ill or you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, the elderly aren't expected to either. Like it's only, it's not, yeah, it's not something that you have to do either. It's something that, um, like you're supposed to do, but if you're Mm -hmm. at all ill, you're not supposed to hurt yourself doing it. Yeah. Young children, the elderly, Mm -hmm. pregnant women, nursing women, don't do it. Right. But everybody who is able should do it. needs to do it. Yeah. That's specifically how that works. Oh, also his wife's name, Zubaida. That's actually a pet name of hers. Women didn't really have a lot in the way of names. They were kind of named by who their husband was or who their who they were the mother of or something like that. Okay. But her name Zabida was a pet name given by her father and it actually means little butterball. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Little butterball. Yeah. Delicious. Mm. So he stands there over his city after having turned down all of his friends who wanna hang out. Mm-hmm. Wait until the the, the first star of evening glitters over the spires of the city. Mm-hmm. And then his other friend comes out, Ishak, the poet. Ishak is mentioned in Thousand and One Nights number 549. It's entitled Ishak's Winter Evening. The, mu- the musician Ishak of Mosul al-Rashid's favorite singer tells the following tale. I'm not t- telling the tale. I can link to it, though, actually, in the show notes at thedreaming.motodust.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Project Gutenberg page that lists, I believe, every single one of these stories. And so you can go through and read them when you, when you like. Nice. Mm-hmm. And he offers to play for him or sing, and that's not good enough either. And he asks, Ishak, has there ever been a city like my city or a people like my people? No, great king. Ambassadors come here from the ends of the earth to see this miracle. And they returned to their kings, saying, We have seen the perfect city. There can be none like it. And their kings are then dissatisfied with their own small fiefs and domains, for they know that never can they compare to Baghdad, the jewel of cities. This is so. But all things pass. Leave me. I need no poets. So the this... Caliph, this king who has all this power and the greatest city that's ever existed in the world, is unhappy because all things pass. And then we get the tale of him descending mm-hmm. into the depths of his palace. Down what seems like one long flight of stairs. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, until he reaches a huge iron door. Mm-hmm. And he's got a little gold key that opens it. 
and he went down. Now the steps were narrow and damp, and the air swam with half-seen figures and faces. And the king thought that he heard the voices of those he had loved and had killed over the years, the pale girl from the Northland with hair like spun silver, the boy from the desert who had brought him a rose carved from palest pinkest quartz and had stayed in the palace for a year and a day, the captain of the palace guard who, save for only the king, was the finest bowman and swordsman and spear in the city, but who had, perhaps, coveted the throne. Voices he heard, but he paid them no mind. So he's got a room that's just full of voices of people that. He I think it's he's, he's yeah well, I guess it's where you put your guilt. Is that his guilt room? Yeah, he's yeah. got to walk through his guilt room first. Got to walk through your guilt room to get to all the other magic stuff. Maybe it's because that guilt room will keep other people away. Mm. He is Harun Al Rashid. He can take it. Everybody else walks through there and goes. Ugh. And then he has to go through his next door. Mm-hmm. A door of bronze, banded with green copper and inset with mother of pearl. And he opened it with a key of gold. And then he heads down through his labyrinth. And this is where we have that really interesting way of writing it. Mm -hmm. He threaded his way through the labyrinth then, eyes hard closed, counting steps and half steps, left and rights in his head. <laughs> and it's hard to read. It is hard to read. He's going through this labyrinth with his eyes hard closed. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I should have tried reading it with my eyes closed. You're right. That's right. That, that would have. There we go. He ends up at a teeny weeny little door mm -hmm. and he opens it as well with the gold key and he's in a room of flames. And diamonds and rubies, emeralds and sapphires, amethysts and pearls were piled in promiscuous heaps, uncounted, perhaps uncountable. I'd just stay in that room. That'd be my room. Yeah? I'd be into it. <laughs> so you're a dragon? You can just like lie in your big pile of treasure? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. There was a room hung high with enchanted swords, but they were only plus two at the most, and he's a king, so meh. Another filled with lamps and rings and goblets of strange virtue and power. Mm -hmm. Another that contained nothing but eggs. That'd be my second favorite room. Yeah? Mmm, eggs. Eggs of all shapes and sizes, from a vermilion egg as big as a child's smallest fingernail, to an egg larger than a man, the egg of the rook. Also known as the rock, R-O-C in English. Mmm. That's a giant predatory bird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've heard of it called a rock before. I've never heard of it called a rook. I guess I'd never seen it spelled. The original Persian is R-U-K-H, rook. Yeah. But we've, yeah, we've got rock, R-O-C. I, I have a question. Mm. What's vermilion? A brilliant red pigment made from mercury sulfide. Ah. Oh, orangey red. Very orange. It's kind of different here, actually. Mm-hmm. No one can decide what colors actually are. It's all made up. It's true. And we hear about the phoenix's eggs. It comes with two eggs, well, one black and one white. In this story, yeah. Yeah. Normally the phoenix dies and it rises from its own ashes. Yeah, there's, there's no, no eggs involved. There's no eggs involved. But Neil here has a really interesting new setup and there's a lot of talking about eggs in this. Like this, this difference seems important here. Mm-hmm. Oh, it definitely comes back. Right. But what hatches from the black egg, no one knows. And there is a little talon coming out of there. Yeah. Look at that. And we have the door of fire. Mm-hmm. And he opens that with his golden key. Yes, Khaleesi. <laughs> and sitting on a pillow in this room is an orb with swirly red insides. Mm-hmm. Set into the glass was a seal. Now, this is probably, we find out later there's Ifrit inside this. Mm-hmm. The seal is probably the seal of Solomon. Yeah. 
The Seal of Solomon has power over spirits. It was actually a signet ring attributed to King Solomon. In uh, Arabic, they would call him Suleiman. It's often depicted as either a pentagram or hexagram shape. The ring variously gave Solomon the power to command demons, genies, or jinn, or to speak with animals. And due to the proverbial wisdom of Solomon, his signet ring or its supposed design came to be seen as an amulet or talisman or symbol or character in medieval and Renaissance era magic, occultism, and alchemy. So he had this like ring, but then it became the seal of Solomon became this just overall thing that could apparently control and contain these demons in Ifrit. Neat. Mm-hmm. In the part where it says there were paths through the palace that none but Harun al-Rashid knew, and this was because those who had drawn with the plans and those who had built the paths had all since gone to their final reward, for it is seldom healthy to know the secrets of the king. Mm-hmm. That is definitely a reference to the Mosque Cathedral of Cordoba in Spain. Oh, yeah. Like uh, a visual reference. Like a visual reference. Like here, you can see this right here. Absolutely. Yeah, that is them. They've even got the little pattern up top of the arches and the way that they go back uh, behind them like that. It's it's almost exactly the same shot. Uh, we're going to put this up on the show notes at thedreaming.motivedust.com. You'll take a look at those actual arches in real life. It's stunning. It's pretty beautiful, yeah. And I'll put a link up to... Uh, so there is so much data about all of these people. Like when I go, oh, that's a guy from the 1001 nights there's wikipedia pages on every single one of them Mm -hmm. so i think what i'll do is when i make the show notes for this there will just be a huge list of wikipedia links from my research because i'm just not going to read a wikipedia page out to people no but lots of it is super super interesting especially once you look through it like even glance through it and then read this story because you start to see that neil is just name dropping name dropping name dropping 1001 nights characters constantly and just, again, weaving them into this story that he himself has created. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this next page is, uh, it's just beautiful. So he's headed back up to his rooftop. And the night sky, or is, is this at dawn? It took him all night to get this treasure. And is this what his dawn is, where the stars are still out? This is night still. It's still night. It says, and ships still plied the river with lanterns on their masts, and the night sounds of the city rose up into a sky hung with stars and blazing fireballs. And softly, softly, the king began to speak. Well, their night sky is brilliant. It's the greatest city that's ever been. Why would it not have the perfect night sky full of beautiful stars and fireballs? I guess you're right about that. Mm-hmm. And he makes a call to the king of dreams, lord of the sleeping. And he demands that he present himself there in a form neither threatening nor unpleasant to mine eyes. He knows how demands work, right? This is a person who understands how genies work and how they will twist you, mm-hmm. right? I demand that you appear before me. Very well. Ah, I'm driven <laughs> mad, right? So Jerks. So he's like, listen, you got, yes, I demand you come, but it's got to be nice and you can't eat my brain and all that stuff. <laughs> He says, Ibn Alat, Ibn means son of in Arabic. So he is Harun Ibn Muhammad Ibn Abdullah Ibn Muhammad Ibn Ali Ben Abdullah Ibn Abbas, called Al-Rashid, meaning the just. First among the faithful, mine is the glory and the city of Baghdad, Pearl of Cities. He tries it several times and is really threatening. Yeah, so basically this big old glass ball he has is just full of nasty, nasty dudes who want to kill all the uh, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve in the world. That's us. It's the globe of Suleiman ben Daud, Suleiman Mm -hmm. being Solomon, ben Daud meaning son of David, Solomon, son of David, Mm -hmm. king of the Hebrews, from the Goetia, the lesser key of Solomon, 
talks about King Solomon commanding 72 mighty kings and princes into a vessel of brass together with their legions. And this included Belial, Bileth, Asmodee, and Gap. There's a story about uh, Solomon taking these 72 Ifrit demons and putting them into this brass vessel. And then he made them work for him. He made them build things. Mm-hmm. But this is a little different. This isn't brass. This is a crystal globe. So we're playing a little with it. But I think it's great because being crystal makes it so that when you drop it, you know it's going to smash. And you can see into it. And you can see into it for sure. And so these nasty, nasty little critters, if he shatters it, they're just going to go and just wreak havoc. And I really think it's interesting that he thinks he can actually threaten Dream with this because it works. Well, here's what he says. Remember this. This is in between the two panels on that one page. Over the years that these Afrits, their hearts blacker than jet, have been imprisoned, they each have sworn a mighty oath to wreak vengeance on the children of Adam, our father, to destroy our work and our minds and our dreams. I think that's what does it. Mm. That because they want to come out and destroy even dreams, that this is a time when Morpheus is like, okay, not going to come when you call. And also, I don't believe you. But then, well, as we know on the next page, he throws it. And just before it reaches the ground, Blink. Morpheus catches it. Oh, man. Could you imagine if he'd rolled a one and he just <laughs> <laughs> shatters right next to his face? You know, I don't think that an anthropomorphic personification of the universe and one of its aspects is going to roll a one. He re-rolls Constantly. his critical failures. I think he can just take a 10 whenever he wants. We are such role-playing nerds. <laughs> this is one of my favorite Sandman depictions right here. With, oh, when he's got the globe and his awesome black and white robe here. He's so swirly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You have called me and I have come. Are you then the Lord of Sleep, the Prince of Stories, he whom Allah has given dominion over that which is not, and was not, and shall never be? You know whom you have called, Harun al-Rashid. And he's like, give us a wine! This month is Ramadan, O king, when the faithful fast from dawn until sunset, and has not the prophet spoken against wine? And are you of the faith, my pale companion? I am of all faiths in my fashion, Harun al-Rashid and I have no wish to take wine with you. Now, perhaps you should tell me why I should not leave this place now, taking with me your ball of little nuisances. And also, I might add, taking the recollection of being summoned peremptorily, as one might summon a steward. I am no steward, O king, and I mislike summonings. <laughs> there is sweat yeah. on his forehead. <laughs> And just like a like a big old beach ball, Dream opens up his cloak, stuffs it inside, and then it just disappears. Yep. Yeah. There is a tale they tell of a fisherman who caught a jade bottle in his nets, who opened the bottle and released a genie. In the tale, he talked the genie back into the bottle, but the genie was foolish and boastful and lonely. I am none of these things. You have called me here, Harun. It is unwise to summon what you cannot dismiss. You are threatening me? I do not threaten. I merely advise caution. <laughs> yeah, you don't mess with the Dream King, even if you're the king of the greatest city in the world. Yeah, I. this is where a king really needs to understand the limits of his power, yeah. Yeah. I think he kind of does. Your point is well taken. 
he has them bring a casket from his sleeping quarters. And they do. And he pulls out a threadbare carpet. And it turns out to be the flying carpet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll have to have one of those. <laughs> At least in the movie. They're a staple of the Arabian Nights. And it's said that master Arabian weavers were apparently so talented that they purposefully wove a single flaw into each carpet, feeling that it would be disrespectful to Allah to create something perfect. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, so we just have to whisper the magic words to it three times, like mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, and then it can fly. And we get this beautiful launching into the air shot. P. Craig Russell talks about how this has the building going up at this angle, which brings your eye up, and then the carpet brings you over and up into the sky on the right, and the color goes from this blue to this sun coming up on the right, warm, orangey-red color. And he even asked Todd Klein to continue that up in the sky angle with the lettering. And that's why we've got that circle of the text on an angle like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in the next shot of the city, you can clearly see like the sun is rising and mm-hmm. that's bringing the warm colors into all the purples that yeah. were there before. Yeah, gorgeous. And it's very like, I can show you the world. <laughs> yeah. His dream is just sitting off the backside of the <laughs> carpet looking out. I can show you my city. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am responsible for it. Ah, the souk descend, oh you, my carpet. Let us attend to the business of the marketplace. I can't do it. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, souk is a marketplace. Ah. And they descend and we get, a nut, we get a beautiful giant shot. They're very tiny in this shot, but because they're placed right in the center on a bunch of white, and we've got that little fly line behind them, little speed line. We can just see them right there, even though the detail is everywhere else. Mm-hmm. I love it. And it's so detailed. Yeah, this issue is a visual feast. You can just reread it over and over looking for more things. Mm-hmm. And he sends the carpet high up into the sky. They go through the market. Along with things to be bought, people are also offering stories to go with them. Yeah, everyone's got quite the story, Mm -hmm. no matter what they're doing. Again, Baghdad, this great and shining Baghdad is a city of stories. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he goes and buys some grapes Mm -hmm. and offers them to Dream. And Dream says, uh, once again, says like in Ramadan between dawn and dusk, because the sun has come up now, so he's not allowed to eat these grapes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Harun is not following the rules. He didn't pray. He wanted to bring wine for his guest. He's eating grapes now. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to it. Look around you, Dream King. What do you see? I see a remarkable place. Indeed. It is a land of miracles. Will you buy it from me? Morpheus arches an eyebrow. Hmm? Huh? <laughs> Very Spock-like. I have no desire to be king of any mortal land. No, you misunderstand me. This is the most perfectest amazing city that's ever happened it's like so great yeah but will it last forever he has gone out into the desert and he's seen all the ruined cities Mm -hmm. the places that used to be boss and now they are gone yeah it's very reminiscent of ozymandias right look on my works ye mighty in despair even Mm. though it's just this thing stuck out in the desert meaning nothing because everybody's forgotten about you Mm. Yeah. So he knows about that. It's as good as it's going to be, isn't it? It may be so. But Allah alone knows all, indeed. 
And he offers the deal. He says, I want you to take my city from me, purchase it, take it into dreams. And in exchange, I want it never to die, to live forever. Dream looks a little sad here, thinking about it, and then says, after a fashion, I can do this. Well, I think he knows that by taking it, he's also bringing the end earlier than it maybe would have been. That's kind of what I get from it. Like he's taking the magic out of the place by doing this. And the magic could have maybe stayed around for a little while longer, even while the city fell apart. Hmm. And he says all that has to happen is for him to tell his people, they follow you after all, and yours is the dream. So he gets up in front of a big old fountain. Mm -hmm. Hear me, my people. I, your caliph, Harun al-Rashid of the Hasim bloodline, proclaim on this day in this place that I have given the golden age of Baghdad, of Araby, to this one who stands by my side. It is his forever, providing that as long as mankind lasts, our world is not forgotten. Mm. And the carpet falls to the ground. Your offer is accepted. And over the next page, he wakes up on On the carpet. carpet. Yeah. And the city is a lot less spectacular. Mm Mm-hmm. They're just normal shaped buildings. Mm Mm-hmm. And he sees a pale stranger with a big old bottle with a big old cork on top. Yeah, a city in a bottle. We have seen this city in a bottle before. Have we? In The Sandman, number 27, Season of Mists, number 6, page 20, panel 1, when he's putting Azazel in that little bottle into his chest. Yeah. There's the Corinthian skull. There is a city in a bottle with the the spires and everything. Hmm. So he did keep it, and that is how they say that it occurred. But Allah alone knows all. Now we get one more kind of false ending reveal that we had a false ending before of the ending of the great city of Baghdad. And we woke up into the kind of realistic city of Baghdad back then. And now we find out that this is all a tale being told in the modern day of Baghdad, which is being bombed during the Gulf War at the time. Yeah, you can even see planes in the background. Yeah. There. Yeah, pretty bad stuff. And so a beggar is telling his story to a young Mm -hmm. boy. And he sends the young boy home without finishing the story. Yes, just like Scheherazade. You'll have to come back tomorrow and bring me more money. Yep. And though his stomach hurts, for fasting is easy this Ramadan, and food is hard to come by, his head is held high and his eyes are bright. For behind his eyes are towers and jewels and gin, carpets and rings and wild afrits, kings and princes and cities of brass. And he prays as he walks, cursing his one weak leg the while, prays to Allah who made all things, that somewhere in the darkness of dreams abides the other Baghdad that can never die, and the other egg of the phoenix. But Allah alone knows all. And this is the bleakest shot out of all of it. Mm-hmm. So Baghdad may be bombed into unrecognizability, but that beautiful shining jewel of a city still exists in dreams, which really also means in stories. And also, I mean, he references the other egg of the phoenix. Yeah. As in Baghdad could come back. Yeah. Like it could rebuild itself, you know, things could stabilize and and it could come back and be, you know, an amazing city again. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder if that other egg of the phoenix, though, is it coming back bad? It looked threatening, that panel of it cracking open. Oh, but I don't think that's what he means when he says the other egg of the phoenix. I think the other egg of the phoenix is the phoenix rising from the ashes, like the well, good the, the white egg. Yeah. And there was also in that room the other egg of the phoenix. For the phoenix, when, it co- when its time comes to die, lays two eggs, one black, one white. From the white egg hatches the phoenix bird itself when its time has come. But what hatches from the black egg, no one knows. That makes me think that the other egg is the black one. The egg of the phoenix is the one the egg hatches from, and the other egg is the black one. Mm, okay. Well, maybe but, something good comes out. I mean, maybe. Maybe it's just another, another phoenix. Maybe this is the black egg, this version of Baghdad. Maybe it's the next story. Instead of being born from its ashes, it kind of becomes ashes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it is the next story. This is the end of the Fables and Reflections collection. This is the last one we've got here. We're moving on to the Brief Lives collection after this. Oh, that sounds promising. A brief life. Brief Lives. Oh, multiple. Mm-hmm. It's a whole story about the dreams of fruit flies. That's right. So we'll be starting Brief Lives. That starts with issue 41. Okay. It's just called Brief Lives number one. Mm-hmm. Brief Lives. Mm-hmm. And there is some lettering on the front. Uh-huh. Blossom for a lady. Want slash not want. The view from the backs of mirrors. Not her sister. Journal of the Plague Year, Rain in the Doorway, The Number You Have Dialed, and I'll give you one more hint, Morpheus doesn't show up in this one, the very first one. There is no Sandman in this. The view from the back of the mirrors makes me think it's um, despair. I'm just going to tell you right now, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I think it's a story about despair, probably desire as well. Because Desire is not her sister. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe also Delirium. But mostly Despair, I think. So you think those three? Yeah. Desire, Delirium, Despair. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're going to have to see how correct you are next episode. The most correct, the correctest. You've been Dreaming of the Sandman, issue 50, Ramadan. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming, and we'd sure appreciate it if you tell your friends about us. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulcham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. <laughs>